Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest sharing their story and tips and tricks on getting into the field of cybersecurity. And today, I'm extremely excited to have my good friend, Shabam Kichi, on the show. Uh, it's kind of interesting. We've known each other for a while, and I've actually been on his podcast for a while and finally got around to having him on mine. So we've both been very busy, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to be a guest on the show. Always a pleasure, Philip. So yeah, it's good to good to finally have you on here. So I can't thank you enough. So uh, so how how are things in your world? <laughs> My world is uh, very busy. Uh, there's a lot of work needs to be done um, in cyber communities and uh, in the business and the startup. Things going on really well as well. So a lot of work going on back and forth. Uh, yeah, conference. You get a lot of and everywhere. Yeah, I know you got a lot of cool things going on, and I'll let you share what you're what you're you willing to share. But you, you you're doing some pretty cool things, and one of the things I thought that would be awesome to have you on this podcast is is this kind of you know once we kind of get into it, we're going to we'll discuss the difference between pen testing and red teaming because you know there's but you and I kind of uh, have a lot of the same thoughts on this. Uh, we're pretty passionate about the difference between the two, so I thought that would be great to discuss, but. Uh, for some of the people that may not know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of share how you got started? Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, my name is Shabham and, um, I have been working, uh, professional in cybersecurity, particularly offensive security for quite some time now. Uh, it's been, I've clocked a couple of years <laughs> in this entire industry and, um, it just turns out to be one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Uh, with my career, as well as uh, giving back to the community, um, I have done through YouTube, through podcast, uh, through freelancing work. It's just one of the rewarding things of working in offensive security, um, which is going on very well for me, uh, fortunately, knock on wood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, started out really, really humbling experience when you came from India, immigrated from India in 2012 uh, to the United States and um went to undergraduate education in the UT, uh, University of Texas in Arlington over here, um, and uh, did my undergraduate in information systems, which is not what you think is cybersecurity is. Uh, it's very much business-oriented, accounting, finance, a uh, little bit of computers here and there, and then some coding classes, obviously. And um, during the college years, I jumped into offensive security and pen testing itself. Uh, that was something which was not offered by the inner city, so I had to seek out other help, outside help, um, beg everybody in the industry to <laughs> teach me these things and got part of a couple of IRC channels back in the day um, and some Reddit posts and channels over there as well. So that time it was very famous. 
OSCP just started rolling out their certification in 2013, 2014. So it was really famous at that time and really difficult uh, to master that field because there's not a lot of knowledge floating around like it is today. I uh, did that in 2016, uh, graduated um, from college. And um, during college itself, we started, whatever knowledge I had, I, start, I started providing that to small companies. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll fix your computers. I will go ahead and install these firewalls, more like system admin work. And um, some of the most bigger companies who could afford uh, to pay uh, large sums, we would do pen tests for them. So me and a couple of guys, we just decided that, hey, let's open shop and let's start offering them services. And what what are we good at? So we just we are good at pen testing, so let's give them pen testing. So back in the day, started off with pen testing, um, followed YouTube videos, then did the pen test in the night, daytime do more uh, studying, then did the pen test in the night. So it was more of those hustle mentality uh, going on and... Uh, that didn't pay much. Uh, sometimes it was less pay, obviously, because we are new and this is a new field for them as well. Uh, so we, I, I got a quick job uh, doing tech support at Fidelity Investments back in the time. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, got to know what uh, company culture looks like from the bottom up and um, what are the issues and customer service uh people face. So I learned how to talk to managers, CISOs, and CEOs, and all these people who have uh, title brands against their names. And it was something really wonderful to learn as well. Even though the job was pretty millennial, it was a wonderful experience to understand and grow these kind of talents of customer experience because it definitely paid off in the long run. Um, now that I'm talking to other business lenders as well as business owners, I still remember those days when I had to read from a script and keep my calm and composure. <laughs> Even if issues keep piling up, you got to be relaxed, you know, keep it down low. So that definitely helped. And um, soon after that, um, SolarWinds attack happened. So they, they hired me to build out their own red team internally. So I had to hire really good, good, really good people who are competent in their fields. Uh, to help bring SolarWinds back on feet um, from an offensive security perspective. Um, turns out they're doing pretty good right now. I'm really proud of everybody working over there. And I just started working more on my business. Um, on, I launched a company, Nexus InfoSec. Uh, we provide training, uh, cybersecurity training and certification to um, countries like India and Asia, other parts of Asia. Uh, we are doing in India as well as in Indonesia. Those are two countries now where we are focused on providing our certification and um, also part of another AI company, uh, which I'd recently just started. It's the first time I'm speaking about it on, on TV or podcast. Um, and we are focusing on solving some offensive security problems through AI. That's so far. Uh, I, I don't like to keep, I don't like to say that uh, I've put years into this field. I like to mark it by hours. So, so far it's been, 8,726 hours as of this morning. I have focused on just offensive security and adversary emulations only. Anything outside of that report writing, talking to people is not counted. So this is just hardcore technical work. Very cool. And that's, that's a good way of, uh, of measuring things by the hours because, you know, if you only pen test an hour a day for 20 years, then 
you know, you really haven't done that much. So that's a good way to look at it. Cause I had a student in one of my classes once. And, uh, when they start out the class, first day of class, he said, I want to be as good of a pen tester as you, but I want to be able to do it sooner. Can I do it? And I said, yeah, if you spend more time and effort, you can get there quicker. So yeah, you can do that. And so that's a good, interesting that you, you mentioned that. So that's kind of good for our listeners to, to hear if you want to get to somewhere, you know, quicker, you know, put in the effort, more time and effort and, and you can get there quicker as long as you just don't overdo it and burn yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a strong believer of 10,000 hours after I read the book from Malcolm Gadwell and, uh, it, it's, it's that simple. People underestimate the power of time. Um, they, they say that they're very busy, uh, but how much time have you really dedicated to your craft and investing in yourself and betting on yourself that you will be successful? Uh, when you ask for that number, nobody has that because they forgot to clock it. They, f- yes. they remember to clock in those 40 hours for someone else, but when it times to clock in those hours for yourself, you never know the time, how much you have invested in. So I like to put numbers uh, to the experience. And once I reach 10,000, I will move away from offensive security and jump into AI. And that's the goal right now. Do 20,000 hours in these two fields and then do something bigger. Very cool. (laughs) So, uh, so what, what just, you know, a lot of people ask questions all the times about some pretty common questions on getting into the field. So what is your view on certifications? Do people have to have a certification to get into offensive security? I look at from an entrepreneur perspective, right? Um, I don't look at it from an employee perspective, um, but I will touch on both aspects as well. From an employee perspective, if you want to get a job, uh, yes, apparently those are the de facto standards uh, that minimum requirements, put it that way, is that you need to have one of these offensive security certifications from one of these name brands. I won't go too much into detail. You can find that on LinkedIn. But yes, uh, those are the standards right now. And uh, if you want to get a job, they will get you inside the interview rooms. Um, but what you do in that interview room uh, shows what you have learned over the time. Um, there are a lot of people who coast through the certifications because it's easy for them uh, to take an exam, but these certs are not that easy. They are not a multiple choice based. Uh, they are actual theory based and practical based. So you have to learn the craft in and out to perfect in this field. And there are a lot of certification you can get outside. Um, go for the name brands, the top brands, and um, look through the LinkedIn um, job boards to see what certification it's in demand and just go pursue that. I f- I'm a strong believer that if you want to go ahead and you're so desperate to get a job, to make it in this industry, that you should be able to jump into the hardest f- things first. That's what I did um, right out of college. Um, I read on Reddit somewhere that OSCP is one of the hardest ones uh, out there because they have a 24-hour exam and you need to write a report while you're being monitored by someone. So there's no scope of cheating. There's no scope of referencing something else. There's no scope of someone besides sitting beside you. So it's pretty hardcore. 24 hours is no joke. Staying up 24 hours is no joke. Lord only knows I've done that multiple times in college during exam times, but uh, it's, it's, it's a task, something. But I went in straight up, uh, didn't think twice before I signed up, um, paid the money. Uh, I think it was 90 days 
And I was doing a very boring job in te uh, tech support. So I, I wanted to change my career so badly. Uh, so I, I went in 90 days, studied day and night. Uh, in the nighttime, I used to do tech support work for Fidelity Investments. And in the daytime, I used to study. So this was going on 18, 19 hours each day and sleep for four hours each day. Did that for 90 days, gave my exam first attempt, 100 out of 100, not a question. And anybody else who asked me that question that, oh, should I go for some other search first? I said, no, do yourself a favor, go for the hardest part first. It's going to make you into a better human being, right? to make you a stronger person in and out, more confident in your craft, and also waste less time <laughs> throughout your life because you only have so much time left uh, to master this before it becomes one of those things where it's saturated. That's a, that's a good point. So as far as, as far as when it comes to degrees, do you think a degree is required for someone that wants to get into offensive security? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I did a degree because I had no choice uh, but to get a degree uh, to stay in the country. Uh, but if you are from here, if you're an American, um, go ahead and don't bother. If, if you are interested in a degree, yes, that's going to help you um, be disciplined in your craft and be disciplined throughout your life. That's what college teaches you to do. Be more disciplined in your craft and uh, in your life, uh, you know, throughout your homeworks and things like that, and be disciplined towards authority. It teaches you all that to be a really good employee. Uh, but it's for offensive security, it's such a niche field. It was created by people no different than you and me uh, who were, you know, back in the day doing freaking <laughs> on their phones, uh, on, on landlines. So it, it was not created in the banks. It was not created in um, venture capital industries. It was not created in San Francisco's um, um, big tech firms. It was created in a garage. It was created by normal people with extraordinary creativity. So yes, it's still the same. People in this industry, specifically offensive security, is, are very curious-minded. Uh, it, it demands you to be curious on how an attacker is thinking. It demands you to become much more resilient uh, towards feedback. It's like, hey, you're going to get a bad feedback sometimes. So you just got to understand it and then keep on improving yourself. That's from an employee perspective, uh, the approach. But from an entrepreneur perspective, uh, it's, it's different. From an entrepreneur's perspective, you're not looking particularly for a certification. You're learning, you're figuring it out what it teaches you to let you go to the next step. What's your next step? Identify that. You say you want to launch a product, say you want to launch a script or something different. You got to learn those things from a detailed course. Move on. You don't, probably don't even need a certification because you are on a different mission. You don't want a job. You want to work, solve a bigger problem uh, than just nine to five. So you go ahead and learn what you can and apply a little bit to it. Learn more and apply a little bit to it. Programming comes in. Learn that, apply a little bit to it. And that's how you solve problems uh, from an entrepreneur perspective. But I respect that everybody has different avenues in life. Uh, but these are the two methods folks can take and keep on moving forward. So you'd mentioned programming there. So do you think programming, coding, and general scripting is a requirement for someone that wants to be a pen tester? Is that required for someone to get started? I... I'm a strong believer that a little bit of programming knowledge on how to read code is essential. 
because what you're dealing with is a lot of open source tools uh, floating around and uh, which catches the eye to solve your problem. And if you if you know how to go ahead and maneuver throughout those, um, it should be fine. You should be fine to be able to understand uh, if your boss asks you that, hey, um, go ahead and solve this problem and you go to GitHub and you find a tool. You don't know if that tool is beaconing out to a command and control interface if you install it on your company laptop, right? You, we want to be sure that you can read a code, you can understand particular C2 infrastructure set up uh, so that it's not, you know, uh, moving the traffic here and there. So a thorough understanding of how to read a code uh, should be good uh, to move in. But I believe that, and this is how it worked for me. Uh, I understand everybody's different, but this is how it worked for me that um, I just wanted to learn offensive security. I didn't want to be a coder. I don't like coding that much. <laughs> I find people to find uh, do coding work for me. I find other solution to do uh, do coding work for me. But what I what my niche is is offensive security and adversary simulation, and I wanted to be great at that. And I'm working towards that only. Coding became a problem later on when certain solutions did not fit my problem. So it helped me uh, figure out how I can chain multiple tools together, uh, a little bit of coding here and there, helped me uh, fix that problem. But that came way down the line. But most of the time, you no, know, 98% of the time, we don't require it. Most of the people have created a lot of good work in open source community and hats off to them to donating their time uh, to build tools uh, free of cost uh, with no intentions of taking any money from you or anything from you. Um, so a lot more power to them for doing the work. Uh, but you can you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just focus on one thing and one thing it is. Also, you got chat GPT these days, so that solves the problem for you for coding. <laughs> I've been on the platform. Uh, for those who don't know, chat GPT lost, uh, launched, I think, last week. And I've been over there, I think, so far I've clocked 40 hours, 50 hours of since past week or two weeks on it. And I've been trying to find solutions to every problem I can. That's, it's a pretty cool tool and it's starting to get overwhelmed because I tried to get on there today and it was too busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Some to of the, get on is, it's, it's an awesome amazing. tool. And I think that, you know, my issues with uh, scripting certain things, which were only complex in my head and I can speak it and someone can give me a code from it and I don't need to pay that person. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, that's a phenomenal invention um, and discovery in the planet. And uh, it only goes upwards from here. Yeah. It just kind of gives us a little view into the future of what in what I mean, when we talk about the future with this product, I mean, talking about the very near future, you know, just seeing what was available there, you know, to be able, like you said, just to be able tell it what you want in plain language and it comes back and gives you, you know, how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Natural language processing is one of the most um, amazing inventions done in machine learning uh, over the past years. And so far it has proven its point. Uh, code, yeah. uh, what was that? Uh, GitHub's um, Copilot was one okay. of the first ones who could write a code uh, based on the prompts you could provide it uh, in comments and it would, mm -hmm. you just press tab and spits out a new code but this one took it to the new level but the thing is kind of promising and who who knows you may get 
even more advanced, but it's the, the thing that's kind of promising about it is, you know, everyone is scared about being replaced and stuff. And maybe at some point, you know, they'll replace a lot of things. But one of the things you have to understand is you've kind of got to understand technology somewhat to be able to ask for something. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could get advanced enough that you don't have to know anything about technology. But you know, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, you kind of have to have an idea kind of what you want. You know, you just, you know. I think I think you got a valid point there because what you're alluding to is that folks, technology sure will replace these jobs because these jobs will because these people will be required to become creative. So the the future uh, is going to be more creative work uh, in terms of um, providing services. Um, let's say you ask a code developer, it's like, hey, can you go ahead and build me a website, uh, which which is you know, on React.js and has this backend uh, framework and hosted on AWS, all that. And he, it's, it's his or her job uh, to go ahead and identify what environments I need to uh, work on and provide that to the AI so the AI can deploy it, you know, with the help of Terraform and Ansible and AI, you know, you can deploy any kind of infrastructure you want by just talking to it. But a CEO will not know that. Uh, on what no. database is much more efficient, you know, Redis or something like that. But a developer will do that. No, we will know that. But it will cut short that time frame. Um, so mm -hmm. it won't be an hourly job moving forward in the future because <laughs> you just yeah. finished my job in one hour. I'm not going to pay you <laughs> more than that. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be a different structure. It would be a more creative job, uh, which will be replaced. Um, coding will be replaced in the future. But these coders need to be more creative in developing more things uh, for this infrastructure setup. Yeah, I saw an ex example on Twitter where someone w had used uh, chat GPT to, or GPT to go in and tell it, I need, you know, some a C program that does this, this, and this. And they were talking about, you know, Boolean statements and a few things named a little, a few things, but it was one of these things that you wouldn't have to be an expert coder to figure that out, just some kind of basic stuff. And they're able to get it to spit out the code for that, which was kind of cool. But as mentioned, that's where I kind of, why I was saying that you still have to have some technical know-how to be able to figure <laughs> out how to do that. Because the person that said that just, if you know nothing about programming, nothing about what you want the output to be, it's going to be kind of hard to describe enough for the AI to create it. But you know, pretty interesting I agree. Stuff. I agree. So, so based on your experience, you know, how you, you know, you started out, you went to, to the university, discovered, you know, you like defensive security. So based on how you learned, if someone was wanting to get into this field brand new, wanted to be in offensive security, how would you recommend them go about learning uh, to be a pen tester or a red teamer? I think red teaming and pen testing is, um, a little bit advanced field. I'm gonna give that uh, credit where it's due. Uh, it's not something which you, which you get it in, you know, a couple of YouTube videos. You really need to be deep down in the trenches to understand what is it and how do you go ahead and execute certain attacks, and how do you, and if you really get good at it, how do you go ahead and emulate adversaries and think like an adversary, uh, cyber adversaries, right? So. That kind of mindset is the first thing the folks need to prepare themselves to. The money 
you should not get attached to the money part. The money will follow you um, in this field. It will follow you much quicker than what you can follow it. So focus on learning the craft in sense of understanding what this entire industry is and what is remove all the hype and the noise and focus on the bare principles, the first principles of offensive security and focus through there, move through there. And you'll learn that there are certain things which you did not know um, are more fluff. Uh, in the industry and uh, these YouTube videos of you know thousands of people talking the same things about certain products, it just creates a lot of noise in the industry. And I want to encourage people who are jumping into this uh, to be more mindful of that, first of all, and uh, try to shield yourself from the noise um, to focus something uh, on the craft itself. So once you do that, there are certain avenues you can go through. Um, obviously, you can take go through a certification progress uh, that's the standard way of doing it. Or you can go through solving a problem. Uh, let's say you want to learn about uh, network pen testing, all right? So you go ahead and start setting up your own labs. How do you create a lab? Go, go watch a YouTube video on how to build a home lab with an Active Directory environment. What is an Active Directory environment? Go search that. So you see you're going through multiple nodes uh, in this entire industry, uh, entire field, um, of learning, uh, you you try to find a sentence on how to build an Active Directory lab in my home and home lab, and you don't know certain words from there, like an Active Directory or what is a home lab or what is a server. You go find solutions to that, and as you keep on doing that, the learning curve uh, becomes much more easier to grasp, and. Uh, you will have much more bigger dividends because you are really good at researching if you do it that way. The other way is to have someone, um, you know, go ahead and teach you on YouTube, which sometimes pays a dividends um, if you are those type of learners. Um, I surely wasn't. Um, I didn't pay much attention to the fluff around um, because at that time I was trying to understand and get deep into this field and clock in my 10,000 hours. So... <laughs> I wanted to make sure that whatever I learned is uh, coming from the source of truth, not from someone from source of, um, you know, a hype or stories. So focus on that. Try to create an ironclad mindset um, and get really prepared to be amazed and prepared to be disappointed. Uh, but all around, just prepared that you are launching yourself into a new career and um, something that is not being done traditionally in school. Very good, very good points there. And it's interesting too, that how long it really took for any kind of pen testing classes to get into college, but it's not that widely spread. And then actually getting quality courses on, on the subject has been, you know, even more, more of a challenge to find those. That's what we are trying to solve uh, too, um, because I have seen over, over years and hours, I've seen a lot of people um, in this industry, trying to dilute the market um, by, you know, mixing up the terminologies of pen testing and red teaming and uh, mixing up um, the content on YouTube, uh, trying to confuse the younger, younger audience or who are new to this field, not particularly young in the age, but new to this field and scaring them away. I have, I've heard people getting scared off that I just moved off from, you know, 
uh, offensive security and went back to my old job because I got so overwhelmed. Um, and that kind of led to my frustration. Uh, I discussed this with a couple of my buddies to see what's, what solution can we provide because this entire security certification industry is taking over, right? Everybody is providing some version of the same thing over and over again. And they're not providing valuable key insights for people to become successful uh, in the market, right? You want people to learn how to communicate a technical uh, knowledge, uh, which is very, very, very technical in your terms, um, to an executive person who makes the decision, who pays your um, checks, who writes your check, who writes the check for everybody else, and influences the market. Your Pentest report is going to influence him or her, and that's going to influence the market, stocks market, and other and the industry people. People don't understand that, and that's something which needs to be taught. And uh, that that how do you convert a technical report into an executive um, report? You know, a, a presentation, and that's the place where everybody fails uh, because that's the place where you need to be successful. You need to use your customer service knowledge. And the ability to speak uh, with higher ups and not get intimidated um, and explain things in a much more broken down manner as if you're explaining to a golden retriever, right? Because these people don't understand technical work. They understand, is this a problem for me tomorrow? <laughs> and I, I believe that during uh, our brainstorming session, uh, we came up with this idea to why not offer um, a certification course, more like a bootcamp course live in person, uh, where we teach them how to go ahead and use industry knowledge, uh, which is coming from the horse's mouth, which is ours. Um, because we are working in the industry right now, we are we employ professionals in the industry, and we'll give you that same knowledge, along with uh, conversions on how to communicate this report to an executive. That should set people up for success, and um, we want to go ahead and provide this service to as many people as possible because it's no way it's it's really unfair to dilute this market uh, with uh, just you know money making schemes <laughs> floating around in the industry. Yeah, that's interesting. You're bringing up like the different content and courses out there and the stuff on YouTube. In a while back, and I really liked his comment is Vivek Ramachandran the the founder of Pentester Academy had put posted on LinkedIn a while back that you have, you know, kind of something I've told people to begin with when you're trying to get into pen testing, you need to find a friend or someone that you know that's experienced that can help refer you to some good content because nowadays everyone has, there's so many YouTube videos out there. And then you do me, uh, a good friend of mine works for a bank. He got some of his training canceled this year. And their training person says, Hey, just go out on Udemy. You know, you've got a, a core, uh, we've got, uh, you know, an enterprise license to Udemy. Go out there and learn. <laughs> and it's, it's like not everyone, there's some good content on there. Then there's people out there that are trying to make a buck that create these courses that never worked in that field. Correct. And you're trying to learn for them. That's not good. It's just, you know, it's that advice is being given out there. And, you know, to Vivek's point, he's saying you just can't trust everything out there. You know, some people try to make money. Some people are not subject matter experts. They're creating these courses and things or they learn from, you know, the methods they got it from are incorrect, you know, so you really have to watch what you're consuming. You got to vet the instructor 
uh, as well because uh, it's important to know where you're learning this from because everybody has their own version of it. And if this is your first time learning it and you get a version which is so biased uh, that it, 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 it puts a bad taste in your mouth, then you got to have a, a distasteful uh, session of, of learning uh, throughout your career because the first experience is the last. And you need to make sure that whatever you're learning from, or the person has actual experience doing it in person. It's not like they just, you know, uh, worked in freelance for like 40 hours in a month and <laughs> or a year. And then that's it. That's all the work they did. Uh, run a, a blueprint uh, pen test. And it's just not the same thing as working in a company, getting the pressure from your bosses up there and um, becoming an efficient employee uh, to deliver quality products, uh, quality services to your employer. Very good points. Yeah, it's interesting topic. And, and before, you know, we, we wind this up, we definitely got to discuss the difference between <laughs> red teaming and, and pen testing because there's so much confusion out there in the industry. And for someone, you know, I got my start in consulting. And so you kind of, you, you learn the right terminology and how things are done. And I just don't know why, how the proliferation of the wrong terminology gets put out there. So I don't know if it's a vendor or how it gets out there, but people are just referring to pen testing and red teaming as the same thing. And there's a, a difference. And, you know, we spoke a while back, you know, we've been talking about you being on here for a while. So Trey, this would be a good topic, good educational topic for the listeners to learn the difference between red teaming and pen testing. So that way they go into interviews or they're trying to educate themselves. They can be a more educated consumer of educational content or they're interviewing with pe people that they can tell the difference. And I think that's kind of important because you see the people in the industry that really know what, they, who, what they're doing that have created a lot of the way things are done. Uh, you take like some of the creators of the penetration testing execution standard. These people know the difference and that's the kind of people you want to learn from, people that know what they're doing. So kind of what are your thoughts? If you could explain the difference between pen testing and red teaming. <laughs> yeah, that, that topic is as old as what's the difference between, or which one is better, Mac or PC? Uh, that one, that's how it's uh, dealt with, Coke and Pepsi. Uh, red teaming and pen testing are, you know, the most um, used words in the industry of offensive security, um, especially in job boards. Uh, I think uh, that the terminologies have been diluted, and so have the uh, the pay rate. Um, the pay for a pen tester is much less than pay for a red teamer. But when you join the job, uh, it's the opposite um, because the definition, the true definition of red teaming, is a test for people, processes, and technologies. Uh, these three uh, needs to be tested in order to be called as a red team because you need to be able to emulate an adversity to improve the blue team, which is your security operations centers and your incident response team, your white cell team, whichever you have it brand name in your company. But IR and SOC are one of the most famous ones, which are always in all companies. So your job as a red teamer is to train them in case of an actual incident attack coming from uh, a foreign adversaries. That's the job. You do that. And that's, that's the end of it. Uh, if, if it requires you to uh, test people, which is through phishing and social engineering, that's one avenue. Processes to 
test out playbooks for the blue team. Like, hey, um, one fine Christmas morning, I am going to go ahead and run a ransomware simulations. Uh, let's see how much of you, how many of you are working on that time, and let's see what our processes are when the entire um, company is out vacationing, right? Because an adversary, like a Russian adversary or Chinese adversary, will not care about Christmas because there is no Christmas in their countries. So for them, it's a working day, right? <laughs> so they don't care, uh, and they are looking for these opportunities uh, where we are the most weakest and exploit that. That's their job. But what happens is that when you are working for the company, uh, it's your job to come up with creative ways uh, to and creative times and opportunities to exploit the company and show them that, hey, we ran this test. Half the people never showed up. The test ran for 24 to 48 hours, whatever. And we were never blocked. Uh, we, were, we tried to contact your MSP, but they never saw the attack. It seems like our attack were successful. And what are you going to now do about it? That question needs to be answered on the 26th of December, uh, if the attack was on 24th, Christmas Eve, right? <laughs> and the, the, the answer should be from a CISO or someone in power, a position of power uh, to understand what is at stake. Because we, I, think, I think companies have the Cassandra syndrome in their mind that we can never be harmed uh, or we will never be harmed. Uh, it's not going to happen to us up until it happens. You know, um, Mike Tyson, I think, said it very famously, and I got that in our, on a T-shirt, that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> but here in Texas, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the throat. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's one of those things that you, what, how good is your plan? Let's test that out. How good is your assumptions that we are good and that we are protected and we are secured in our SDLC pipelines or we are secured in our defenses or MSPs are doing their good job of what we are paying them, you know, five, six million dollars a year for. Are they good doing that work? Let's test that out. That's the job of a red teamer. Um, and if a little bit of testing, pen testing comes into it, I agree. That's perfectly fine because uh, you are already doing that job. Might as well do a little bit extra. But that should not be the core focus uh, of that cell, the red team cell. On the other hand, pen testing is a, a test to understand the security of your technology only. Pen testing rarely cares about uh, how good your phishing campaign is, social engineering is, because the, if you, if you con connect uh, with any of the consulting companies uh, or people who do consulting work and you ask them for an assessment, they would rather skip initial access and phishing. Um, or social engineering uh, from their scope because they would assume that, hey, let's do a gray box test. You know what, gray box test, give us a couple of credentials and we'll see where we can go from there. Or uh, we'll do a black box test, but that's only all for these couple of hours. Our focus is through a gray box test. So we don't bill you more hours. That's fair because at that time, they, everybody is knowing that there's a pen test happening. There is proper SOW set up. Half the security team knows which day is happening. Rest of the half no are on it itself. So it's a very celebrated occasion. Pen testing is what I would say, mm -hmm. uh, where the EDR systems and the SOC knows about it. Uh, so any kind of alert switch is happening, they're jotting it down. All those things happen uh, in the background. And then you get a full-fledged report from the consultant saying that we were able to get, you know, elevate privileges or do things. 
and it's very noisy. On the other hand, red teaming assessments are very stealth. You have beacons who are, uh, you know, in sleep mode for days and hours, I know months, and it's been happening for, you know, many, many months. And it's, that's, that's how you understand how vulnerable the company is. If it takes a company, you know, 12 months to figure out there is an attack, attacker present in the infrastructure, they were not good to begin with. Uh, it's a pretty bad state. And that's what we need to figure it out uh, as red teamers. So that, and that's the problem, right? A lot of red teamers are, don't, they, they try to go ahead and do pen test work, uh, leaving from the true focus of adversary simulation. And I use the word adversary simulation, red teaming in conjunction, because in, I believe that they both are the same, uh, that you're emulating an adversary uh, based on their previous TTPs. Um, while on the other hand, there is pen testing, uh, which is a completely different thing. And you can hire people to do pen test work for you, uh, companies to do pen test work for you. They'll do a bang up job on it, uh, but you cannot hire um, red teamers as consultants uh, working on the project unless they're really, really damn good on it. So I would recommend people to do their research and just leave it at that. Don't mess up the terms too much because it's these people who who don't know the difference between the two who mess up the terms and now salaries are based on that. A salary of a red teamer is provided to a pen tester and that inflates the entire job market and attracts a lot of people and a lot of people attraction towards this field uh, with bad knowledge, you know, flowing around on YouTube and everywhere. It's just gonna, it's a recipe for disaster um, and where people will lose interest in this field. We, we want to make sure that People have great time learning about this awesome, awesome technology and awesome innovations, but we want to make sure that they are getting from the right source. And, and it, I've made it a mission of my life to make sure that whatever is the truth comes from the first principles, uh, which I follow, and um, the truths about offensive security, the differentiation between the same remains intact. And um, if anybody challenges me on that, uh, it's just, you know, it comes to a matter of the facts, right? It, it, you need to understand the difference and you need to make sure that these two, yeah, you're treated, treating these two things as separate entities and separate teams. They both don't need to do the same job. Uh, they are two different teams and they are two different pay scales and they report to two different people. Very good. Thanks for, for sharing the differences there. We're getting down towards the end of the episode. Is there anything that you'd like to share before closing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I don't give credit to too many people um, in the industry a lot often, and I think uh, one of the people is uh, the great job doing is is you, uh, Philip. I think what you have provided to the community and the industry as a whole, a um, lot more than a lot more years than I have provided, is really phenomenal. And I hope that I, I wish you best of luck to your future, and I I believe that you are gonna do great things. Uh, for the community and uh, for the industry as a whole. And we are, we are really rooting for you here at Nexus InfoSec and uh, really proud of what you're doing. Well, thanks for, for that great compliment and feedback. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to be a guest on my podcast. Always an honor. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. 
If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.